0: Hey, this is Maya. And I'm Stephanie. And you're listening to The What
1: Project. Where you'll hear inspiring stories of hope. Hey everyone, welcome back to The What Project. We are so glad that you are here today. We have my good friend, Bev. Hi, Bev. Hey, good to see ya. (laughs) You too. So, Bev. We just wrapped up big holiday season. Can you tell us what your favorite holiday goodie is? Lefsa. Lefsa?
2: Lefsa and lutefisk.
1: Can you explain to our listeners what lefsa is?
2: Well, we have a lefsa factory here in Rushford and it's potatoes basically rolled out and and then fried on a great big griddle and and then you cut it in fourths, and then you put butter and brown sugar or white sugar or nothing or jelly, and you roll it up, and it's very Norwegian.
1: Yes. Yeah. It is like a potato tortilla, as some people would say. But the real question is, brown sugar or white sugar?
2: Brown sugar, all the way.
0: (laughs) That is kind of a heated topic. Some people are very passionate about their sugar
1: types. True. Well, without any further ado, Bev, can you tell us how you got saved? Tell us your God story. Where did it start?
2: Well, what I remember is a step-by-step process. First of all, my brothers and I were all three adopted when I was about six, and my brothers were five and three. And we were taken away due to neglect or whatever it all was and put in foster homes. And then two wonderful people from this community weren't able to have children of their own. And so they went through Lutheran Social Services and they were just looking for one child. And they found two of us in one foster home.
0: So were you and your siblings split up while we you were, were in foster care?
2: My youngest brother was a baby at the time. And then we were split up where he went to a different place. And when they wanted to adopt us, they were going to take me being the oldest. And then they were told, well, there is a brother to this one and they're staying at the same Foster home, would you be willing to take both of them? They're only about a year and a half apart in age. And so they agreed and they adopted both of us. And in the waiting period in between, uh, my brother and I both got German measles. So they had to wait two more weeks. And during that two weeks, they got another call saying, There's a third member of this family. Would you be interested in taking him too? And I'm sure with a little bit of uncertainty, they did decide to keep us all together because they knew we would grow up remembering that other one. And so they got all three of us all at one time. And people in town said they never saw a woman lose weight so fast as my new mother did. So that
0: was pretty cool. I was glad I could help. From the very beginning, your story then really has just a a fingerprint of Jesus on it because Absolutely. that's really what Jesus is about he's yes. about you know bringing his kids back to himself and you experience that through adoption where this family chose you and brought you into their family mm-hmm. so that's really neat
2: mm-hmm. what ended up happening was after we got I got my both both of my brothers back with me was monumental for me because one of the things that I did, and one of the things that the adoption agency put in the adoption papers was, We hope that Beverly can be a little girl now. She's been a mommy long enough. Mm-hmm. And which meant that I was left home with my two brothers in diapers, and me barely out of that, probably, and taking care of them during the daytime all the time. So,
0: do you remember being separated from your brothers?
2: I remember my baby brother was taken away from us. Yes, that was very hard, and I kept asking for him. But my middle brother and I, we became bosom buddies. We watched out for each other, took care of each other. And what went on from that point on, once we were adopted, which I heard that word and didn't know what that meant, but eventually our new parents, and I wouldn't say eventually, not very long after we were brought into the home, we were told what that means, that they are now our mommy and daddy, and we can call them that. And we had to learn new rules, which we really didn't have many of in previous times, to do this and go here, and but you don't go over there. And, but the thing that meant the most, number one, was we all got back together again. And my new parents took us to church the first sunday that we were there and i remember sitting in probably the fourth or fifth pew back from the front and they started a song and i'll probably cry even right now because it was so it meant so much it was what a friend we have in jesus And I understood the words. They were simple words for children. And as I'm sitting there, and I'm seeing the front of the church and a representation of Jesus ascending into heaven, and immediately, it didn't take any time at all, immediately I felt loved by Jesus. And I had two parents that loved me. Plus, right next door to us, was my grandpa and grandma. So all of a sudden, at that time in the service, I thought, I'm loved. and You know, for a six-year-old to be able to say that and understand it up here, I thought, I'm never going to be alone again. And so that was probably the first step that grabbed my heart and my spirit. I won't ever forget that.
0: That just reminds me of James 1, verse 27, where it says, Religion that God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And, you know, you experienced that through your adoptive parents. Amen. Choosing you and and living out exactly what God asked them. Yes, to
2: actually, and you use that word that they chose us, even after spending a whole day with us. They still wanted us, <laughs> and they chose us. And now, as I keep up with the chosen series, I'm I'm just so touched, and I still can feel way back then the emotion that I had. And yeah, it's very powerful.
0: Yeah, it's just a really beautiful picture yes. of Jesus. Yeah, because that is how he feels about us. Yes, he looks at you and is like, "I I choose you." Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, and then I had already started school when I was in the foster home. And so when I came here, there was like a month left of school time. So I got to go to school, got to meet a few of the kids that would be my classmates through the years. And it was so great to belong and know that I wouldn't have to go to a different school. Because from what I understand, From what happened was that it wasn't just one school that I went to. Then, when I got home one night, we were sitting at the supper table, and mom and dad asked, How was school today? And I told them somebody came up and said, How come you're adopted? And I said, Because my real mom and dad didn't want us. And I started to cry. And I said, Do other kids in school know about that? And from that day forward, I used to wonder when I was in school what other kids thought about what adoption was and how parents maybe described it to them. And I started to feel really pressed down and flattened out in my heart again. Thinking that, are their parents telling them that, well, their parents didn't want their kids, so they were taken away. And I thought it was one thing if they didn't want us, it's another thing if you were just simply taken away for whatever reason. But to think that my new friends thought that I wasn't good enough to keep, are they going to think that I'm not good enough to Mm -hmm. be a friend? And so I started to fear not being accepted. And so that went with me for a few years. And then I met a couple of really fun, crazy kids just like me. And and we became good friends all through high school. So that was awesome. The hardest thing was getting my brothers to accept. Now, the baby brother, he didn't even really know anything had happened. He hadn't experienced anything much outside of the crib. He was probably two when we were actually adopted, so he had learned how to play, but I don't know what his foster experience was like. My middle brother and I were bosom buddies. We took care of each other, and so that was sweet. The next thing that happened was we were baptized, like they do in the Lutheran Church and many of the churches, and we were baptized at the font, and I remember that day very well. I got to meet my two cousins, and they loved Jesus. And their dad, my grandpa, was a pastor, and so they knew Jesus. And so sometimes we would sit and we'd talk, and they'd tell me stuff about him that I didn't know before that.
0: So what was that like? Do you remember? Like just kind of meeting your extended family and kind of just— it going was, through that experience.
2: Yeah, it was very exciting because my birth family was fairly large in numbers. And so I know that we would see them quite often. And there were grown ups and little kids. You know, we were always kind of messing around and who knows what we were doing. But this was wonderful when they would come to visit because they lived... Minneapolis and Indiana and California. And so they would come. And I was so excited when they would come. And there was one girl. And I was a tomboy. I did not play with dolls. But my little girl cousin loved dolls. And that's the only time I played with dolls was when she came to visit. You know, I didn't want to take care of a baby.
0: (laughs) Well, you had. (laughs)
2: Uh huh. I had. I'd done, like the paper said, I'd been a mommy long enough.
0: (laughs) Did you? Have trouble transitioning to being cared for and not being the caregiver?
2: No, I sucked it up like you wouldn't believe. (laughs) I absolutely loved being taken care of. I didn't have to worry about crawling on top of the chair and pouring milk into my brother's cereal bowl and spilling it all over anymore. Mommy did it. Yeah. And yeah, it was a relief. So while we were being baptized, we were up there and we were each lifted up and had water sprinkled on our heads. And I don't remember a whole lot of the talk about it, but the whole action of it is saying, I belong to him. And I had learned that song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. So I knew I had a new friend, grown up, that was (laughs) never going to leave me or forsake me. And that resonated huge for me then I would have to probably fast forward into high school. And in our days, once you left sixth grade, you were in high school. Seventh grade through 12 was high school. And probably during those years, those were tougher for me because kids that age will accept or reject you and not even think about it, even back in those days. And I was always afraid that nobody liked me. My biggest fear was, are my friends going to give me up?
0: Yeah, that identity piece. Yes, exactly. Am I wanted? Am I loved? Am I cared
2: for? Yep. But then my mom had given me a little desk that I could do my homework at, learn how to do writing and arithmetic and all of that in elementary. And above that desk was an old antique-looking picture of Jesus knocking on the door. And she taught me how there's no handle on the door to open it. It has to be opened from the inside. And she said, Bev, what you have to do is when you want to talk to Jesus, imagine that he's outside the door knocking on it, and the only way he can get in is if you open the door from the inside. And that has stuck with me all of my life that I have to let him in. If I keep the door shut, then I will probably go about my own self-destruction or whatever. And so I learned how to pray. And I would say my prayers at night and ask him to watch over me while I sleep.
0: It's really a good reminder that as a mom, like the work you're doing is important. And those words you speak to your kids really can stick with them. And make a lasting impact. So moms and dads, keep doing what you're doing and yes. keep telling your kids yes. how they can know Jesus.
2: And I will insert the vital importance of that, what you just said. Because one habit my mom and dad developed with us kids was reading devotions every night. And we would sit on the floor and they would sit up on the edge of their bed, and they would read this the devotions with us. And at the end of the devotion, there were questions. So we were very involved in life situations, you know. If you're playing marbles with a friend, when you're done playing marbles, would you steal your friend's marbles? And my brothers and I would go, no, <laughs> you know. But... That devotion time and prayer time at mealtime, and they taught us very deliberately that boys, when your sister is walking towards the door, you run ahead of her and you open the door for her and let her walk in first. Those kind of manners, which again today, I don't know how much we see of that, but That is one thing that we really were exposed to were those kind of manners. And it still means an awful lot. Then I would say getting into high school meant a lot to me. One of my new friends had a sister who was a baton twirler and a majorette in front of the band. Well, she taught me how to twirl baton. And so all through high school, I was a majorette in the band with her and another girl. And the short story on all of that is I became a baton teacher and had over 30 little girls. (laughs) It's the only way I had girls. And um, began taking them to parades all in the area. So I had family and many different kind of scenarios. Then I would say towards the end of high school thinking about what I was going to do with my life. By the summer of ninth grade, they offered summer classes for kids who wanted to learn how to do typing. Well, my dad was the local pharmacist here in town, and he asked me if I would learn how to type so I could help him with something. So. I had a mission now and I learned how to type and I did all kinds of typing for him, which led me then into um, noticing that our vested choir director at church was a singer and she was also um, the secretary in the church. And when I watched her doing what she did, I thought, I want to do that. And so my goal was to become a parish secretary. It took many, many years. I was in my 50s before I became a parish secretary. (laughs) I was a Sunday school director. I was a teacher in Sunday school, did that, absolutely loved kids, Um, had four of my own children. One didn't make it. He's with Jesus, and I can't wait to see him again. But uh, I had three boys, and I always said I had two brothers, I had three sons, I have all grandsons, I never had girls, (laughs) except in baton lessons. And so God provides. I really believe that God provides. And He knows what my heart wanted. But all through school, even in my work situations when I graduated, even in all of the jobs, and I had several jobs. I'd worked three or four years in one, and oh, I don't think this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I worked in another one. I worked at another one. I never got fired, never got let go. I worked for a little while in a Christian bookstore, which was very exciting. I grew spiritually very much there, and finally went on to be a secretary in a church during my last years <laughs> which were it was very exciting and i it absolutely i realized at that moment what god had been doing was preparing me for that time the biggest thing that i was able to recognize through missionaries through pastors through other adults who knew my background and my brothers backgrounds was how kind people were, grownups. They were so kind and they would encourage. So that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an encourager and a helper. And every time I heard through scripture, do unto others as you would have others do unto you, I thought, well, I sure wouldn't want them stealing my bike or my (laughs) baton or so don't take somebody else's stuff. And when I would see a friend going by, we'd roller skate up and down our sidewalks when we were kids. And I'd see somebody stop and sit down on the grass. And I thought, I'll bet they're thirsty. And I'd run in the house and I'd get a (laughs) glass of water and take it out. And then we'd sit and visit. But my biggest fear through everything was the possibility of rejection. It took me a long time to realize that I was so fearful of that that I would sometimes sabotage myself before they could attack me. And so those kind of things started to happen to me. As a young girl, I had my problems. As a young girl wishing I had a boyfriend and could go to a dance with somebody, I had my problems. As I got older, I got a boyfriend. actually came and asked me to a dance. And we became very, very good friends in the beginning. Then I was tempted. And I didn't know what I was tempted for. And as I went through those many months of dating him, I did literally fall for him. I fell in love with him. And I got myself into some trouble, if you know what I mean. Then he graduated, went off to the Air Force. And another guy winked at me in study hall, and I fell for that. Well, long story short, I was going to have my first baby way too soon in life. It was very hard on my parents, but I don't ever, ever, ever remember anybody teaching me about this stuff or warning me about saving myself or that's not God's will. I never remember anything of that.
1: Did
0: you open up to your parents about that need for acceptance and kind of the struggle of... Not till much later. Okay. Much, much later.
2: And we got married. We had four children. One of them still lives here in town, and I got to help them with their babies. Best time of my life. I love children, absolutely adore children. Then I went through another stage of rejection terrible rejection, which also then caused my children to decide to reject me. And what ended up through that time was my children came back. I moved on. I'm now married to a wonderful man who is absolutely out of this world, the sweetest guy, and treats me like a queen, which I'm not. But I ended up, before he and I got married, meeting my birth family. A couple of people in the family had been looking for me for many, many, many years. And they found me. After I went to another town, I got to know Jesus in a whole new wild and exciting and earth-moving way. This was as an adult? As an adult, I'd raised my children. They were grown up. They were through college. They were on their way having their children. Actually, the youngest one wasn't done yet, but the other two had moved on. They had jobs. They were married. They were having kids. And I went to this church and I got to know the Lord and it just made sense to me. What I was missing was a Jesus that would literally. Hold me in his arms and comfort me and tell me, Knock it off. That's not good for you. He would tell me so often as I did my devotions because I was really taught how to spend time with the Lord in the word and in devotionals. And then I was baptized again by total immersion.
0: So when you were kind of getting to know Jesus in a different way and kind of feeling him embrace you fully, yes, and also kind of understanding when he spoke to you, saying, like, these are good things and these are bad things. These are bad, yes. What led you to that knowledge and understanding? What did you hear at this new church that changed it? I heard
2: basic, down-to-earth, total truth, because I hadn't heard it before. I only experienced the one experience and experienced it a lot after that.
0: Would you say the message you heard about Jesus kind of growing up was that he was a friend, that he was mm-hmm, there, kind mm-hmm, of that piece, mm-hmm. but you didn't really hear the repentance and moral side of it? No,
2: that's exactly right. I heard and saw whatever videos about Jesus and the disciples, and, but I didn't get to know the Jesus who allowed himself to be crucified. I didn't get to know that Jesus. I mean, I knew about how Jesus was crucified. I knew about that, but I didn't understand any of it, even through high school. I just didn't get it. Why did would people do that? You know, do unto others as you would have others do unto you was what came to my mind. So then after that, many years later, then as I'm going to this other church, I was just refreshed in the way God knew that it could happen for me. And so I continued to move on. In fact, when I sat in adult Sunday school, the people that were teaching the class, they finally one day confessed to me. They said, we can't keep our eyes off of you because you are just sitting right on the edge of your seat trying to get every note and you're looking at us. And they started handing me their notes after they taught so that I wouldn't miss something, which was such an exciting thing to have happen to me. And now I'm starting to get the real stuff. Then I went to a party many years later, and it was a party about somebody that was an artist. And I got a hold of a couple of pictures and brought one home. And it was the lady who was caught in adultery. And the people, they dragged her to the center and wanted to stone her. But in this picture, Jesus was there, and it was him reaching down to take her by the hands and lift her up. And then the next picture was her resting her head on his shoulder and looking up at him with tears in her eyes that, really, you're going to take me back? Really? After everything I've done wrong? It was so incredibly inspiring to remember where he's brought me from, which is just so amazing. So. Then my birth family eventually finds me, and I go up to visit them. And this is just an aunt and uncle whose wedding one of my brothers and I were in. I was a flower girl. He was the ring bearer, okay? And what we went through when we were taken away from the family, I can describe with my brother's expression. We were in that wedding going down, and my middle brother gets up to where our father was sitting, because our mother, I think, was a bridesmaid. He gets up close to where our father was sitting, and he goes, Hi, pops really loud during this (laughs) wedding. He was so attached to our father, so terribly attached to our father. At that time, well.
0: This this is is your biological dad. Yes,
2: our biological dad. And that was the last thing I remember about being with the family. Um, It came back to me many times. And uh, several memories of my brother being hit by a car. Um, Just crazy things that happened way back then. And I'm trying all of my life as these memories would come back into my mind, I'm trying to place them and how they may have affected my brothers and me. Okay? So I'm sitting with my aunt and uncle, and nobody knows that they found me. They
0: kept it to themselves. You're sitting with your biological aunt and uncle? Aunt and uncle. Yes, it would have been my
2: mother's sister.
0: Were you aware that that was your biological aunt and uncle? Yes, because by now
2: my kids had grown and were gone. And I was living in another town, and they had been searching for many, many years, and they found me and asked if I would come up and visit. And I said, Okay, we are alone. There's nobody else in the house, right? You don't have a recorder going, right? And I came right out and I asked, I've had this thing in my mind and in my heart wondering what were the reasons we were taken away. And most above and beyond everything else, did anything ever happen to me that shouldn't happen to a little girl? And they both immediately began to cry. And I think the crying was because they probably had hoped I would not remember that. Something happened. They didn't go into detail. They didn't say who. They just, yes, and we're so sorry. And so then pieces of my puzzle started to come together. Why I was afraid of this, why I didn't understand this in health class, why I didn't understand it over here, all of the things that I didn't know. And so the doors are opening now. The, not just the doors, but the windows yeah. are opening now in my mind and in my heart. And...
0: You had, you know, trauma that you Much. were not really. I wasn't aware aware of, of but your mind right. still knew yep. and had blacked out. My mind and my and actions
2: and, and my whatever, and all of this stuff is just piling up on me through the years. All this information, and it took several years for me to wait be where I am now. Leon and I have been married twenty years now, and it's like thank you, Lord, but. What I went through between the time that I was married, having children, enjoying my children, loving my husband, wanting all of that, and the kids graduate and leave, and there I am. And I'm thinking, what do I do now? What do I do now? And I always did go to the Lord, but I didn't get direct answers. I had to seek. Until I found. And he always, when I was seeking, he always let me find something. God always let me find something in scripture. And even from reading the book from cover to cover, you know, a few times in my life, meeting them was an absolute miracle for me. Now I could sit down with my grandchildren and teach them about Jesus and teach them about what's good and what's not good. And when they come into this house, they know what I stand for. And life has been not simple, but it's been a lot easier because I know who holds my time, who holds the time in my life. And like you and I have spoken through the years, I will. Ask a teenager, how's it going in this area of your life? How's it going in that area of your life? And when I became a secretary in the church, I also became youth director for a little while in parts, Sunday school teacher, was very, very involved with the youth because I didn't want to see any of them have to walk through what I went through. It is not that long ago, you guys. And I want to speak to anybody who's listening to this. If you ever, ever feel rejected by people, don't let that tear your heart apart. Please don't let your heart be torn apart by that. I still suffer a little bit from it because these old memories now have a place, but it's behind me. And I have to keep on crossing my arms, stomping my foot, and saying, Satan, get behind me and go back to hell where you belong. You have no business in my life anymore. You're done. And leave my grandchildren alone, too. Now, I know this is a lifelong process. They're only in seventh and ninth grade. They haven't met the struggles that they will meet. But they've got a praying grandma on their hands. And they know it. And I pray that they will come here if they need that, but at least go to their parents and at least go to their pastor. So I encourage them to stay involved with the Lord and Savior.
0: Your story has reminded me of a piece of scripture. This is from John chapter 14. It says, Do not let your hearts be troubled, trust in God. Trust also in me. Mm. This is Jesus speaking. Mm -hmm. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be Mm -hmm. with me so that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we get there? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you will know him and have seen him. And kind of the root of your heart was you needed a place to just belong. Yes. You wanted that never-ending assurance of you belong here and you're loved. And God did display that to you even early on just by giving you adoptive parents. But what I also hear in there is as you got older and after your kids left and you were kind of still looking for Jesus, it was like that moment when you realized Jesus is saying like, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. That's how you get to the Father. And that's how you get that room in eternity. And- That's really the good news of the gospel. Amen. That's Jesus saying, I died on the cross for you. That's right. And yes, you may have done these things, but I chose you and all you have to do is believe in me and I forgive those things. And you're going to have a room in eternity forever in my household. And that's what God has said to you. And that's what's offered to everyone. And that's... That's what a spiritual adoption is. And it's not even adoption because he created all of us, right. I guess. <laughs> we are his children. Yeah. Right. But then, then you're restored to that place. That's always what he intended. He wanted us to be in eternity Absolutely. and be in communion with him forever. But now we need the gospel, which yes. is Jesus dying on the cross yes. for the forgiveness of and, our sins. And the
2: biggest part of what you're saying... And what I am now experiencing at my age, not that I'm all that old. I mean, I've got friends that are 102, and I'm going, how are you doing this? How am I going to do this, Lord? And the thing is, is we are never alone. He is always with us. And so we can turn and become mindless. That's not intentional if our memory is giving us trouble, but we can seek to heal that. But if we see that we're in a situation that we have no control over, we can choose to be bitter, we can choose to bite other people's head off, we can choose, and it's not their fault that we're in our condition, but we're angry and we're upset and I've gone through enough in my life, why am I going through this now? No. He has shown me now for 70 years. He has shown me that he never has left me or forsaken me. And all I have to do is to remember that when I'm about ready to blow my top because I'm upset about something worldly. You know, it's like, come on, Bev, grow up. (laughs) And we need to. And. Thank you for bringing those verses out because, yeah, that is exactly where it is. If you turn your back on Jesus, he won't turn his back on you. He'll still be there knocking on the door of your heart, and it's up to you. Right, You make the final decision to open that door.
0: Yeah, Takes us right back to what your Amen. mom said that he's he's standing there. That's right. He's the way and the truth and the life. Yeah. No matter how you feel about him. Exactly. <laughs> but if you open the door and you initiate that and you yeah. tell him, Lord, I understand that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Yes. You are forgiveness. Yep.
2: And I'm I'm sorry that the whole beginning of my story is just a mess. It was a mess. It is so here, there and then I get strong, and then I got weak, and then I got strong, and then I got weak. And it's like, Lord, when are we going to quit this rodeo with me (laughs) falling off the horse all the time? And he has finally gotten through. But the enemy is still there. And you have to remember, you know, if there's one thing I could say as a warning is always remember, the enemy is there, and don't give him conversation. You tell him what to do and where to go. Mm-hmm. And then let it go and turn back to the Lord.
0: Mm-hmm. So, as you went through your younger years and you kind of yo yoed, where you said you knew about Jesus, but you didn't really know him. Once you got older and you kind of had the knowledge to understand what the gospel was and you accepted it, did that change for you?
2: It changed a lot of things, but I'll tell you what inside of me must have been a very stubborn woman, which I suspect I was raised by a couple of them. And the first one, through her own terrible issues, was stubborn for all the wrong reasons. I want to be stubborn in favor of Christ. That's where I am. And it isn't that I want to be. I am. That's where he's got me. But it's still my responsibility to open the door. And it's a little harder to do that in the winter. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, you know, that's why I think God gave me a ridiculous sense of humor, because things were so tough. And now I know there are other people going through tough times. And sometimes you just got to make them laugh and then get back to the reality of Christ being there. And this painting that I've got on my wall of the angel Michael. (laughs) He's he's literally pointing to the enemy and saying, go, get out of here. This is not your territory. And that's what we need to be able to do. And God's given us that ability.
0: In Ephesians 1, Mm -hmm. starting at verse 4, is talking about christ says for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters (laughs) through jesus christ and in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves in him we have redemption through his blood And forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And He made known to us this mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He has purposed in Christ, to be put in effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. And that's the promise for all of us whether it's, you know, the struggle of rejection and harm that you went through or whatever your story is. Mm -hmm. It says, you know, we have that adoption through Christ. It says, because of his blood, the forgiveness of sins are in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavishes on us. And it's what we all need. We all need that blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And he's standing there to lavish grace on Mm -hmm. us.
2: And I don't care who we are. Everyone needs that. I look at criminals and so much crime that's going on between murder and destruction and all the stuff that's happening in our world. And I have always, whether it's been something minimal here in town, or whether it's been something big around the country or the world, I have always said, What did you go through that gave you the need to do that? Because that's what I have had, that's what I've been searching and trying to figure out all of my life. And he's brought me answers. And I immediately pray for the person who did wrong. I don't let them off the hook. You know, I wasn't let off the hook either. <laughs> You're still responsible for your actions. But he loves us so much that he sent his son, his one and only son, to take care of us, to teach us of what the father is like and what he wants and who he is. And he gave his life so that we could be with him forever. And I don't know about anybody else who is listening in, I don't know another person that has ever done that for me. I love my adopted parents. I can't wait to see them someday in heaven, but they're not God.
0: (sighs) Yeah.
2: Hallelujah. Read the Word, study the Word, enjoy the Word, sing the Word.
0: Yeah, and let it refine you. Yes. I think your your story of keeping to go back. Is so true. We have to keep opening the door. Yeah. You know, you can accept that salvation, but you have to keep listening to what God is saying and learning and letting Him refine you.
2: Well, and my story can't be somebody else's story. Somebody else might not have that opportunity of hearing, even though they were adopted, they may not hear or ever get to know what it was that caused the need for that adoption or any of the other junk that went on in life. Still, Jesus has the answers. He is the answer. Is it okay if I read this? Speaking of the picture of Jesus knocking on the door, there's a picture of a real fuzzy-haired little boy on this thing. And the story is this. A nurse on the pediatric ward before listening to a little one's chest, would plug the stethoscope into their ears and let them hear their own heart. Their eyes would always light up with awe, but she never got a response equal to a four-year-old David's comment. Gently, she stuck the stethoscope into his ears, placed the disc over his heart, and said, Listen. What do you suppose that is? He drew his eyebrows together in a puzzled line and looked up as if lost in the mystery of a strange tap, 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 tapping deep in his chest. Then his face broke out in a wondrous grin and he asked, Is that Jesus knocking? And I would say, Yes. That's Jesus knocking on your heart saying, would you let me in? So tell your children, people, let Jesus in. And tell your adult friends, let Jesus in.
0: How can someone have a relationship with Christ?
2: Well, I think through so much of scripture. It's again, first of all, opening that door. Because all through your life, you're going to hear a knocking and you're not going to really know. You're going to hear it in your mind. It may not be a knocking like that, but you're going to hear a correction. You're going to hear something. Even if you are not attending church, He's calling you. He's calling you to come to the church. And if your church is asking you to, Worship anything or anyone other than God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Turn and walk out of that church. Do not worship anything other than Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I'm 71 years old, and it has taken this long, but step by step, moment by moment, day by day. Stay in the word, surround yourself with Christians, but also go out and share what you're learning with non-Christians. Because I believe with all of my heart, our responsibility now is to bring others to him. As others people brought me to Christ, and I hope I've got my life straight now. At least now I know who to go to when it feels all wacky and out of place. In Philippians, I believe, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I used to think I couldn't do anything right. But you can, as you listen to Him and put everything else aside.
1: Thanks for joining us today on this episode of The What Project. If you would like to stay connected, go follow us on instagram and facebook we hope that you have a great week and that you will join us again on the next episode of the what project